Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. Today we're going to look at a famous account of a resurrection from the dead in the Bible. Surprising, I know, right? Uh, it's kind of like Easter. I mean, when you, you get past the bunnies and the chocolate, Easter is all about the resurrection of Jesus, right? But way it may surprise you today is we're not actually going to look at the resurrection of Jesus so much. We're going to actually look at Jesus resurrecting someone else from the dead. The story actually happens a couple of weeks before Jesus' own death and resurrection and involves three of his closest friends, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, uh, the two sisters we see in multiple places in the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life showing up in his life throughout the whole three years. It's a story of authentic and extremes in emotion that I think you and I can relate to as we face some of these same extremes in our own lives, especially when the circumstances and the pain of life leaves us questioning at times whether God is good or maybe even more importantly, we question whether God cares in this moment. As we look at the story today, I want to ask you to ponder one primary question. What does Easter and resurrection have to do with me now, today? There's something really profound about this story we're going to look at, the story of Lazarus, that I think is profoundly healing and inspires a perspective that allows us to see God in a way that allows his life to become more readily accessible to ours. So would you just pause with me as I just pray and ask God to come and do that for us today. Lord, we ask that you would come in this moment. We just adore you. We worship you. We thank you for who you are. And I ask, Lord, that in this moment that you would meet each and every one of us where we're at, whether we have had a painful year, a great year, or a mixed year, that you would come and you, through the story, would speak to us very personally, that you would bring things to remembrance, that you'd help us feel things that are similar that we've experienced to this story and allow your spirit to come and become real in this moment now. In Jesus' name, amen. So the story of Lazarus' resurrection happens in a little place called Bethany. It's just outside of Jerusalem on the other side of the hill, basically, on the other side of the Mount of Olives. We talked about this same hill last week that Jesus came down in the triumphal entry. That story takes place a couple weeks after the one we're looking at today. It's also the place where Jesus was arrested the night he was, uh, the night he was praying and arrested before he was crucified. It's that same hill. We see it in John 11, the story. And let me set the context up. Jesus recently had ministered in Jerusalem and it had caused such a stir that the religious and political leaders were uh, conspiring to kill him. So he left and went back to Galilee several days walk away. While there, a messenger came to him and said, Lazarus, your friend, is sick and dying. And Jesus hears that message and he says, well, okay, let's stay here for a couple more days. Kind of an odd response, don't you think? And then they leave and they decide to go see Lazarus. And as, he going, as he's going along, he says something that I think is just kind of funny. Uh, that why, would, why would he say it this way to the disciples? He says, our friend Lazarus has been asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And the disciples think logically, if Lazarus is asleep... 
Why is Jesus going to be his alarm clock and wake him up? Because sleep is a good thing if you're sick and need to get well, right? And they're talking this in front of Jesus, and Jesus decides, okay, I'm going to just take all the ambiguity, and I'm just going to be blunt. He says, dudes, Lazarus is dead, right? To which Thomas replies, and you've got to love Thomas. He's got this Eeyore-like kind of honest realism. He says, well, let us go that we all may die with him. Kind of like saying... Jesus, I love you and you're amazing, but right now you're not thinking very sanely. Lazarus is already dead, so why would you risk your life and our life to go where people are trying to kill us, right? I mean, there's a little bit of logic to his Eeyore personality in that moment. But let's pick up the text there, and it reads this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them from the Jerusalem area. It's referring to the loss in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God, you will give, God will give you whatever you ask, right? I love this story because of the raw range of emotions that we see and the real honest questions that we see throughout it all the way from beginning to end. We see this disappointment, this frustration, even this anger with Jesus. I mean, her brother's friend, their friend, who clearly had the power to prevent death from happening if it had just come. Martha had seen Jesus heal many people with her own eyes. She knew what he could do. Uh, To get even a little more of a sense of what's going on here, you also have to notice that the parents are not mentioned in this story, meaning that they had already passed away. So we've got a brother and two sisters, all not yet married, living together. And in that day, with the death of a brother, it meant devastating consequences for Mary and Martha. It meant loss of property. It meant no one to take care of them. It meant difficulty making a living in a world that was male-dominated in every way. So there's this anger. There's this frustration. There's desperate fear about the future, about being let down by Jesus, by God himself. This is a desperate loss. And yet there's also this certain sense of trust that Jesus is still good and could do something in this moment. There's such a range of motions going on here. But watch as the interaction goes on. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Do you see what's happening there? Martha responds, yeah, yeah, I know in the sweet by and by, you know, I get all that hope and yeah, Jesus, okay, you're telling me I should just calm down my emotions, not get hysterical in this moment of grief. Okay, I get it. But Jesus presses further. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then Jesus asks one of, I think, three really important questions in this text that he asks that we need to wrestle with. He says, do you believe this? Martha replies, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into the world. So Martha says, yes, she believes in who Jesus is, but but what's she really saying that she's believing? She's saying, I think what we all say at funerals even today, 
Yes, I know you're God. I'll spend eternity with you because I believe you're the Messiah and you're the resurrection. And one day I'll, I'll join you in the puffy white clouds and wear Huggies diapers, shooting arrows of love from my bone, playing harps. And you're right. Yeah. I, yes, I know I will see my big brother again when we all go to that place in the sky. Yes, I know Lazarus is looking down on me. It's all going to be great. Right? Yeah, she's still struggling with, but Jesus. You were one of my brother's best friends. And you didn't even care enough to come on time. In fact, you intentionally delayed coming. What took you so long? Didn't you love him? Don't you care? Aren't you good? Because this, this doesn't feel like you care. And this doesn't feel like you're good intense frustration and emotion. See, oftentimes we know that Easter and Resurrection Sunday is a day we dress up, we go to church, we feel like it's important for our faith or or, or we feel like it's something we do to appease our spiritual conscience or whatever reason we come. And and, and, and you know each Easter what's going to happen. The pastor's going to get up and come out and say, He is risen. There's still a few of you with that old tradition. That's good. Jesus is, and he's going to say, Jesus is alive. Everyone will clap and will sing wonderful, inspiring worship songs. But, But if you're honest, very little in your life feels like it's rising from the dead, spiritually or otherwise. You may be facing conflict in your relationships. You may be having a job that isn't going well. You may be facing health issues or, or death in the family or friend circle that is just sad. And sure, Easter is a great time with family. You eat some chocolate eggs, kids have fun, you punch your ticket at church and see you next month or next year, you know. But, but what does Easter and Jesus and church really have to do with me now? And see, that's where a lot of us leave our Easter experience and our faith in Jesus. It secures my eternal future and it tells me to calm down my emotions right? But what about today? How does it help me with the difficulties in my family? When people ask me, how are things going? And I have these challenges at work and my stress is off the charts. And how does it help me with my grandkids who aren't talking to me? And, and how does it help me with my nephew who's on drugs? Or, or how does it relate to, mar- to, to me tomorrow when I go to the office and they ask me, how was your Easter? And I just say, well, the kids got some chocolates. The egg hunt. They actually shared some with me this year. Happy Easter, right? Lots of cute Easter dresses. Ate a lot of ham and stuffing and pie and played a little cornhole in the backyard with Uncle Joe and the crew, and it was good. Yay, Easter. Right? That's likely how Mary and Martha felt. A lot like we sometimes feel. The scene changes. Along comes Mary. She's the more emotive dreamer. And her reaction as she there, sees Jesus, and she's, she's bawling. And she basically has the same uh, reaction Martha has. And she says, if you had been here, saying this through her tears, but you weren't, my brother would still be alive. I still love you and admire you. You've done all the many good things to, for me not to. I mean, you've done so many good things. I, I can't not love you. And I appreciate the eternity promise thing. But, but boy, you hurt me. You weren't here for me. If you had been, Lazarus would still be alive instead of cold and rotting over in that tomb, right? And the text notes that when Jesus saw her weeping, 
And the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. It says he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Now that deeply moved word there is actually a word that refers to the emotion of anger. So you could almost restate that sentence saying, with the pain of loss that Jesus saw, it moved him to be deeply agitated and angry. Why? Why? I think it's because we forget in our perspective of God and pain and loss that, that, that God never created humanity to die. We were never wired to experience or process or comprehend sin and sickness and death. And when we experience that pain, we tend to blame God, thinking He doesn't care about our pain or our sickness or our death we experience. But God didn't create things that way. It's because of our own free will and the choice we made to sin by which death and sickness and pain and dysfunction entered the cosmos and affected every relationship we've ever experienced. And it breaks God's heart. It even moves Him to anger that we, His beloved creation, now have to experience this kind of thing. Just two verses later, we see Jesus arrive at the tomb, and it says, Jesus wept. For all of you who went to Christian school or grew up in churches where you had to memorize a whole bunch of verses, I hope you picked this one. It's the shortest one in the Bible. You get an easy A for your week's worth of memorizing a verse of the Bible, right? Jesus wept. But this is also one of the most profound, beautiful, perspective-shaping moments in all of the Bible. Jesus wept. That word translated wept there is, is, is even more intense than the translation gives us. It's, it's this intense form of grief. It's not normal crying. This is, this is uncontrollably weeping, even maybe to the point that no sound comes out. Have you ever wept that hard where no sound could even come out? The question, do you have pain in your life? Pain from past failures, pain from sin you or others did that hurt you or hurt others that you love with lasting consequences. Do you have pain from suffering sickness? Do you have pain from the death and loss of loved ones in your life? For those of you who aren't familiar with how a lot of Christians treat that kind of pain, Christians are unfortunately too often famous for helping people get through pain like that by saying, come on, don't worry, don't cry. You'll be free of that, of that pain in heaven. You'll be reunited with the people you lost when you get to heaven. So come on, calm down. It's okay. It's going to be fine. Let's just pray and let's move on, right? Now, there are times that I still grieve the loss of my, loss of my best friend dying in a tragic accident from 1985. My father-in-law passed last year from liver cancer. And if someone says to me or my family, oh, don't worry, you see, you'll see him in heaven. I know that's true. I know there's real comfort in that reality for me. And I understand the kindness of the person who's trying to communicate that to me. But the end result of eternity doesn't change the pain we experience now in this life. When Jesus says to Martha, do you believe I am the resurrection and the life? Jesus isn't patronizing Martha with that same kind of thinking that feels so often to us dismissive. Resurrection is not an event. 
resurrection is the person of Jesus. That's what he's saying. I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus, in asking Mary and Martha, do they believe that, is saying, I know you're thinking about eternity, but I'm here now with you. And I want to love you in this moment. And I want to bring life to this current situation that you're facing. See, Jesus doesn't say, stop crying, I'm going to fix this. He's not saying if you believed, you wouldn't be so emotional and so have more faith. See, sometimes we think if Jesus were here, he would just tell us to just suck it up and move on. So we erroneously go through life thinking, oh, that miscarriage I had, I just need to move on. Everything should be okay. I mean, that baby is in heaven and doesn't have to deal with all the difficulty of this life. So stop it. Stop crying. He doesn't say, so you lost your parent while they were 80, had a good long life, so you'll see them in heaven, so don't be so emotional and just move on. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say you were treated unjustly or violated or abused and stop feeling those feelings and letting them get the best of you because I've paid the price to ensure that one day you'll be healed and, and I've paid the price for justice to be one day realized. So suck it up and move on. Quit grieving. Quit having the pain. You just need more faith. He doesn't say that. That may be some Christians and some churches. It may be the way you talk to yourself about your pain, but it certainly isn't Jesus. Jesus says, do you believe I can be in your life in a good, compassionate way right now? And that starts for him before even fixing things with Jesus weeping with you or feeling the anger you're feeling. And he's not in a hurry He doesn't hurry that process. Jesus takes some time with that, and then he asks the next really important question that I think we need to wrestle with. He says, where have you laid him? And what I think, how I think that relates to you and I today is I think Jesus would be saying to us, will you take me to that dead space, that place of loss in your life? And he'd say, I'm going to stand there with you, and the first thing I'm going to do as I'm going to weep with you or be angry with you. Think about it. Who is this God who can cry with you and me about the death of a friend and at the same time that friend is with him in eternity? Who is this God who understands our time, my time, your time, and time and space and the pain I'm experiencing in this moment and he doesn't belittle it but instead meets me in that place of pain. See, Easter and resurrection have to do with where Jesus is in your life in relation to the disappointment and the loss and the pain you've experienced. Jesus' invitation is for us to take him to that place. Many of you know the famous uh, painter Vincent van Gogh. He was a post-impressionistic painter, the famous for cutting off his ear and doing a self-portrait, hiding that. And he was this tortured, artistic soul. Van Gogh was actually raised as a preacher's kid. I don't know if you know that. He served even for a while as a pastor in his younger years in an impoverished coal mining town. Some say later he lost his faith and became an atheist, but I, I don't really think that's accurate. 
nor do some people who have studied this really closely. Van Gogh experienced great sadness and pain as he, in radically generous ways, sought to minister and care for the forgotten poor of his day. Despite giving up his life in such profound service to minister, he was harshly kicked out of his church, rejected by the woman he wanted to marry, and rejected by his pastor, dad. And he rejected church as a result, but not necessarily his faith. He continued to have this big heart for the mistreated in society, and while barely eking out, eking out a living on, on his own as a, a struggling young artist, he met this gal named Sian, Sian Hornick. And... She was a pregnant prostitute who was on the street, abandoned and desperate. He brought her into his home. He fed her. He protected her just so she could have the baby safely and then cared for her and her baby, all in exchange for her being a model he could paint. Yet once again, the church condemned him for this act. See, Van Gogh had this intense internal conflict in his faith. After these difficult experiences, he went on several years of binge drinking, and he got to the point during that lowest point of his time where he said, I can very well do without God both in my life and in my painting. And yet, despite the bluntness of those words, Van Gogh still grappled with his faith in Jesus. The last three years of his life, seen in his letters and his painting before his tragic death, which was debated as to whether it was a suicide or a homicide, Van Gogh still pursued Jesus, and he even painted this picture of the resurrection of Lazarus. And if you look at the picture, you see, and you see Mary with her hands up waving them and Martha next to her. And if you look closely, you'll notice he actually painted himself as Lazarus in the picture, echoing his deep, deep longing that he would be raised from the living dead. Van Gogh loosely based several of his paintings, including this one on Rembrandt. And if you see, it's a little bit hard to see because it's such a dark painting and that there's really no way to lighten it up. But you see Mary highlighted there. You see Lazarus coming out. And, uh, and, 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 but notice the stark difference. What's the stark difference? Jesus is nowhere to be found, is he, in Van Gogh's picture? Mary and Martha are, 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 and Lazarus are, are front and center in his picture. Rembrandt has Jesus front and center. What we see in Van Gogh's painting is not so much a rejection of Jesus and faith. Almost everyone likes Jesus, and he expressed his like for Jesus too in his writings. What we see is a perspective that so easily creeps into each and every one of us in regard to how we view faith and church and Jesus. And that perspective can be summed up in this question. Where is Jesus in the picture of your life now? Not just where Jesus is generically in the universe, not in terms of how we think about the afterlife and eternal life, but where is Jesus in the picture of your life now? You see, our response is too often like Van Gogh. We don't want to go to those places of disappointment and barrenness because we believe God has let us down so much. So we, if we're going to believe in Jesus, we want a God who is distant in that eternity place. See, most Americans still believe in eternal life. Every funeral we go to, we see, talk about again. We talk about our departed loved one, we'll see him again, and they're in a better place, and they're looking down on us. See, when it comes to life and faith, we as Americans, most of us are not terribly worried about the afterlife. We believe in that. 
What we are most troubled about and struggle with is whether Jesus has much to do with our life right now. Where is God when life seems hard and unfair? Is he good? Or more importantly, does God even care about my right now situation? See, we believe in God or life after death or eternal life, and and we're also logical enough within that belief to say, if there is a God who created us, then the right thing to do is to follow that God and obey that God and be good like we believe that God created us to be. But we still struggle with this emotional push and pull in us that is so hard to overcome. And like Van Gogh, the disappointment we have experienced around, maybe it was around church or maybe it was around people of faith or maybe it was this the disillusionment we've seen in life because of the injustice, the, the unfairness, the sickness or the poverty we've seen. And it gives us this picture that while God and his resurrection power are good for eternity, well, we're not so sure if he really is in our picture now. But see, Jesus rose from the dead so that he could go to those dead places in your life in a way that you feel and experience his healing compassion, his empathy, and his love, as well as experience his life-giving healing power. So where are those dead places in your life? Jesus is asking you to take him there. You don't have to avoid them with him. See, when I see this interaction of Lazarus and being raised from the dead with Jesus and Mary and Martha painted before my eyes and I I meditate on it and I ponder it and I allow it to engage my heart, it forces me to ask this question. What do I need to adjust in the perspective of my life? And for me, that comes back to the fact that we so easily, I, you, all of us so easily get this wrong perspective on the cause of sickness and pain and disappointment and hatred. We blame it on God and we lose perspective of how God loves and how God cares and how God wants to be with us in the present, even as he leads us toward that final resolution and promise of eternity. And that wrong perspective that so easily seeps in makes us keep God distant and we keep him out of the picture. But when I see this picture of this story of Jesus coming compassionately to me, Jesus angry and weeping with me, that is a completely different, beautiful, powerful picture. Where is Jesus in the picture of your life now? You see, in this instance, Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and he still wept. He still felt deeply because that's what love does. As the story goes on, the neighbors start to grumble about saying things like, why didn't he come earlier? Surely he could have saved his friend. And you see, when we don't see Jesus as present in the picture of our life, we tend to waste a lot of time and energy arguing and blaming rather than discovering how God wants to be truly present and work in the moment. So they arrive at the tomb, and Jesus wipes his tears and gathers himself and says to Martha, take the stone away. And don't you love how practical Martha is? She's thinking about the comfort of everyone else. She says, but Lord, she responds, he might be stinky. Right? Let me me take a moment and just give you a quick parenting uh, suggestion. 
Years ago, my maternal grandfather died, and he was a well-loved pastor in several churches. And so we went to the funerals, and there were three funerals in, in, in three different churches over the course of two days, followed by a graveside service. By the time we got to the graveside service, can I just tell, we were, we were exhausted. I was watching my nephew, Joe, who at the time was about three years old, and uh, come to find out later, Joe had been read this story from his children's Bible the night before. Not a good idea. So Joe, standing at the head of the coffin in the crowd, filing by my grandmother just a couple feet away, uh, paying their respects to her, Joe looks up at me and says, Uncle Ross, is it true that great-grandpa's going to get stinky? And I, not fully realizing what was going on, I said, well, yeah, yeah, at some point, Joe. Joe immediately turns around, starts jumping up and down, going, get him in the ground before he's stinky! Get him in the ground before he's stinky! As I and my two brothers tried to corral him and quiet him down and try not to laugh too hard with how utterly innocent and awkward that moment was, I can imagine Martha thinking, if Jesus insists, I better go get, hurry, run back and get some incense and some scented candles and maybe some surgical gloves and towelettes, you know? She essentially says, no, teacher, don't move the stone away. That would be really offensive. That would be gross bringing him out after four days dead. There are guests around. Jesus, don't, you don't want a four-day-old casket, open casket review. I mean, there are children present. Really, Jesus, don't do this. And then Jesus asks the third really important question for us to wrestle with. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? In other words... Will you believe that I, the resurrection, can make a difference right now in your situation? If you read this account, you'll notice that Martha makes no response to him. She had already been so quick to go to, yeah, I know in the sweet by and by resurrection, Jesus in heaven twice. She'd already done that twice on him, right? Again, isn't that so much like us that we so easily default there? We go to eternity, to nice, distant truths of God at work in our lives. We talk about moral character and serving and and eternity. But all of a sudden, when Jesus enters our average, ordinary afternoon on any given day and says, I want to be with you now in this place of disappointment and loss in your life, we say, whoa, Jesus, not there. That's kind of stinky. It's kind of disgusting. I I don't want to think about that. We don't want to uncover that. We don't want to go there. And Jesus says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The same resurrection faith you have to believe in me for eternity, that same faith I want you to exercise right now. But we too easily say, just take me to heaven, Jesus. Don't take that stone away right now. That's, that's too awkward. It's too risky. I mean, what if Jesus doesn't work a miracle? What if all Jesus wants is an after-the-fact private viewing time to grieve the loss, uh, leaving the rest of us disappointed because he just raised our expectations thinking he was going to do something, then he doesn't do it? What if my sibling isn't healed? What if my marriage fails? What if I pray for a miracle and it doesn't happen? See, we're more comfortable dealing with heaven and the afterlife than we are with the tensions of Jesus being present and real now in our circumstances. I'm comfortable with someday, but not now. Uh, this, this, this whole thing makes me feel too uncomfortable. I, I could be embarrassed because I could pray and it wouldn't happen. I, I might look fanatical or superstitious or weird or foolish. I don't want to put myself out there in a situation that I can't control. So 
don't ask me to do that right now, Jesus. So what we often opt for is we keep the tomb closed. We keep the dead places in our life covered rather than risk praying and believing, facing the moment with faith in God because we don't want to be embarrassed again or let down again, right? Why? Because we say, I believed once. Can you hear that in Mary and Martha? They're probably saying, I believed once, yeah, like four days ago, and you didn't keep me from the pain then, so let's just stay with someday in the resurrection, Jesus, but, but, but not, not today, right? And Jesus is so patient with us. This third question, Jesus is so patient with us. He encouragingly asks us again to believe And then he goes further and he prays and he says, not for his own benefit, for for ours, saying, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. See, Jesus patiently does everything he can to help us believe. He wants us to believe. They open the tomb. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? What would it have been like? Lazarus walking out all wrapped in strips of cloth, mummified, trying not to trip while he's walking out, right? I mean, that sounds like the best youth lock-in relay race I can imagine, right? I wonder if Lazarus actually might have been laughing in that moment, but everyone else is frozen in shock, the text says, and Jesus had to say, hey, guys, unwrap the dude, right? Imagine what the next few days look like. Lazarus runs into the Jerusalem market that evening to get something, and guys greet him, what's up? You know, how have you been? Instead of the normal fine, he says, I was dead in the cave for four days. Can you imagine the faces when he said that? That would be really funny to see. Lazarus sits listening to his friends talking over coffee, and, and one of them says, hey, I lost my job. The other says, my wife and I have been fighting. And Lazarus says, I was dead, dude. I mean, he just trumps every conversation going forward. It's just that kind of a thing. Where is Jesus in your picture, have you resorted to believing God just for eternity? Have you stopped believing or maybe never believed that God wants to change your afternoon to do something now in your life? Have you just concluded that life is all planned out and there's nothing I can do to change things and someday I'll go to heaven and it'll all be better? Resurrection is about God meeting you where you are right now and being with you in that moment, weeping with you, celebrating with you, laughing with you, struggling with you, being angry along with you and bringing the power of his life to bear for good in you and your situation right now. He died and he rose again to take the penalty of our sin, to free us from shame and guilt now. He ascended into heaven again, knowing that for us to be empowered now in this life, we needed more than God in a human body as Jesus. We needed to be filled and empowered by the very Spirit of God, that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that same Spirit that raised Lazarus from the dead, lives in you if you are a follower of Jesus. Believing in that kind of life and power being present today leads us not to denying the pain of the reality we face. Instead, it leads us to facing the pain with a God who weeps with us, who comforts us, and also 
resurrects life through those situations. So where is Jesus in the picture of your life today? See, every single morning, the one who is resurrection brings something new, big or small. And he's about being able to, and seeing this powerful image of Jesus in this story, seeing him angry and weeping with me, that, that perspective, I don't know about you, but that perspective for me changes everything. See, regardless of whether our Lazarus situation is healed and changed, resurrected or not, see, Lazarus, like everyone, died again. The point is not holding on to this life as the measure of all goodness. The point is God came to live among us as Jesus, and he is a God whose kingdom power is breaking in among us in this life now. We've experienced it here in answers to prayer. We've seen people physically healed. We've seen other answers to prayer, many answers to prayer. And yet one day, we also believe that Jesus will finish things, resolve the sin and the pain we have truly in eternity when we die or when Jesus comes back again. But the question, where can you let Jesus back into the picture of your life now, today? We celebrate a God who is in Jesus' death and resurrection, shows us he wants to be there with you. He's willing to go to great lengths to love you and care for you and encourage you and help you along the way and and give you life more abundantly. But he does want to give you resurrection power, not just then, but now. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, as we continue to worship, we invite your very presence, your spirit to come and invade this place even more. You're already here. You've already been, I've already been sensing you so powerfully. Lord, I pray that, that you would come to each one of us in the way we need to experience you now. For those here who have experienced pain and distanced themselves from you and can relate to keeping you out of their picture like Van Gogh, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would come and be real to them now and woo them and invite them to let you back in the picture. For those here who have never chosen to follow you, Lord, I pray that your spirit would come right now and you would tug on their heart. There would be a sense of you tugging on their heart right now. And for Lord, for all of us, would you just come and surround us with your presence as we continue to worship in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest's podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.